I have to say from a personal point of view, I really wish I'd realised that a year or two sooner than I actually did because I spent a lot of time trying to put strategy in place without having a clear purpose and it just, for a charity, just doesn't work. It doesn't work at all because all you're doing is looking at other charities and going, well, that works for them. Maybe that would work for us, but it doesn't. You're not the same organisation. Hi, I'm Belden Mankus. Welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. The podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organisations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. You don't have to use a structured process to define your purpose. Learn how a more instinct-based approach allowed CEO Helen Rippon to rediscover worldwide cancer research's purpose and then use that to sharpen their strategy in this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Helen, welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. Uh, Just to kind of get us underway, could you tell us a bit about yourself and about Worldwide Cancer Research? So I'm Helen Rippon. I'm Chief Executive of Worldwide Cancer Research, and I've been Chief Executive now for approaching six years. But originally, I trained as a scientist. I did a PhD in prostate cancer research. Um, After that, worked for several years um, in the field of stem cells and regenerative medicine, which was the really kind of cool and hip and happening area of research in the early 2000s. Plan A was definitely a career in science and to have my own lab by the time I was 40. um, That did not pan out. Having done six years of postdoctoral research, I started to well, essentially run out of money and um, you know you do all of this stuff on grant funding. A friend of mine sent me uh, an advert for a job at Help the Aged, Age UK as they are now, a medical research manager position and I applied for it and got the job and I had literally changed career almost overnight with really very little thought I have to say and I haven't looked back since. I was very fortunate to move up the ladder quite quickly. I initially came to Worldwide Cancer Research as the director of research sort of overseeing very big program of global research uh, and then was lucky enough to be promoted to chief executive six years ago. Mm -hmm. And you you mentioned a research program. I mean I think I understand what each of those words means separately but just to help me understand, what does that look like? If I found one, how would I know that's what it was? So Worldwide Cancer Research is this sort of relatively small charity based in Scotland, but that actually has a global footprint and a huge ambition, which is to essentially seed fund new ideas in cancer research. So our founder, Colin Thompson, believed that there was a role for a funder that would take risks, that was willing to invest almost like a business angel would, Um, take a punt on truly new things and maybe things that don't have a massive amount of preliminary data to support them, but allow scientists some intellectual freedom, a bit of adventure money almost, to explore new ideas, hopefully with three years of funding, establish a proof of concept and then enable them to leverage bigger grants from downstream funders who are much, much bigger than we are. So this to me as a scientist is phenomenally exciting. Um, so I, I'm, I count myself very, very fortunate to be the chief executive. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned £33 million. Does that mean every year you need something like that amount coming through the doors? Okay. So when I use the phrase research program, what I mean really is our grant program. So we are a grant funder. Um, scientists apply to us 
uh, with a, a project plan and, and a budget, essentially as you would a kind of business case, I suppose, in the commercial world. Um, and we have a budget every year and select which of those projects ideas that we will fund um, on the basis of scientific merits, but it, principally innovation and the ability to, if it comes off, to really transform our thinking about cancer and the way that maybe it is diagnosed or, or treated. So when I use the term research programme, what I mean is our portfolio of grants. When I was director of research, uh, I was the, the programme at that time spanned, gosh, it was 20 odd countries and was worth about 33 million pounds, you know, so it was pretty broad. And, and we're an all cancer funder, so we will fund any idea that will tell us anything new about cancer, even if you can't pin it to a particular cancer yet. It's, you know, that basic underpinning discoveries that tell us about how cells work and how they go wrong and how cancer establishes and spreads anything in that field at all. Okay. And broadly, where does most of the money come from? These days, we award about £5 million a year. So these are for three to four year projects. We did in the past fund more. And unfortunately, we had to cut back in recent years. So at the moment, we are funding about £5 million worth of new grants a year, which is about um, 20 to 25. Uh, what we need is to fund 20 million. <laughs> you probably touched on this, but just sort of get it front and centre. What's your purpose as an organisation? And how do you go about identifying it or developing it or clarifying, whatever the right word is. We are funded almost entirely by lots and lots of very generous people giving us a small amount of money on a regular basis. It's either by direct debits or um, we have a like a prize draw program. I don't know if anyone is familiar with the old Reader's Digest prize draws. It's very similar to that, but it includes a charitable donation. Um, uh, we also, as a cancer charity, receive a large number of gifts in wills, as you might expect. So we are entirely funded I mean, by the general public, not by government grants or, or products and services. The generosity of people. Mm -hmm. And you said there was sort of a process you went through without necessarily going into all the details. You know, how long did that take? Who got involved? You know, what were the sort of big steps of doing that? So our purpose, as I said, is to seed fund brand new ideas to get innovation off the ground. And the way we sum that up these days, and this has taken quite a process to get here, is we are cure starters. We hope to start the new cancer cures of the future because if nobody takes a gamble on a new idea in cancer research, you're just never going to get to that new pill, that new treatment at the end. And yes, that might take 10, 15, 20 years, even longer sometimes, but unless there's a beginning, we just don't get to the output at the end. Um, so that is our niche. We are our cure starters. Did this search for a phrase, we're cure starters, was that a bit more kind of planful, whatever, there's a place we need to get to? Not necessarily I know what it is, but we need a short way that captures people's imagination. Or was that also sort of still following your instincts? I think the first thing I'd say was there was very little structure around this. This was not a plan up front to sort of define or re-establish our purpose. I think that the key initiating step was probably a couple of years into me being CEO. I'd always known or had a feeling that we had drifted slightly from our founding purpose, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. So when we made funding decisions, so it's, we have a committee of scientists, of 24 scientists that make those decisions um, independently of the charity staff. 
And when I would hear things like, oh, you know, we should fund this grant because this is a solid lab, this is solid research, and we'll definitely get something out of it. There was always a little voice at the back of my head going, oh, I don't think that's right. I'm not sure that's what we're here for. And I suppose the catalyst to really start doing something about that was when we moved office. So we moved from St Andrews to Edinburgh. Um, the charity was founded in St Andrews, but I, you know, I, d I did feel we needed to move to a, to a bigger city for, uh, principally for the purpose of attracting talent. But when we moved out of our old office and went through the attic and the cellar, you know, we found paperwork from the very beginning of the charity and, and things that the founder, Colin, had written. And so I read things about, you know, the charity's first grant and how they'd sought um, a research project that was seemed to be ahead of its time. That was the phrase he used um, that could kickstart uh, a whole new area of cancer research. And that was um, a project that would find it difficult to get funding from the more conventional sources. This is what he says. Um, this was a project, by the way, that looked at um, the use of lasers to treat intestinal cancer, which actually has become a licensed treatment for head and neck cancer and esophageal cancer today. So when I read things from the very original sort of founding of the charity, when we moved to Edinburgh and we did our first sort of kick off all staff, rah, 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 you know, we're in our new location, new team. This is what we're here for. I told the story of the things I'd pieced together from Colin and found on the internet and read about and said, you know, this is why we're here. We start with why, right? Everybody has seen that TED talk. So this is our why. And I suppose that was what started the process of not discovering our purpose, but rediscovering our purpose after it having been slightly lost. The other really pivotal bit was my director of fundraising coming to me one day and saying, look, I really want us to do this. There was a, a, a fundraising masterclass being run by a fundraising consultancy. It was all about how to be a great fundraising organisation. And so we went on this kind of residential course. What we did in that course was look at charities that had been extremely successful in delivering their missions and funding those missions all had such a clear view of their purpose. And not only did they know exactly what the purpose was, they could describe it very, very succinctly and easily. Um, and I suppose that was a bit of an hallelujah moment. So we spent some time after that in quite a small group. We spent some time just really thinking about how do you express that succinctly? We got to something that was a bit of a halfway house and we've refined that over time. So coming down onto the Cure Starter proposition really happened just in the last year. Um, so there wasn't a plan, there wasn't much of a structure, but I think I knew in my gut that this is important and we sort of went where it led. <laughs> you know? And so we are at a point now, I think with the organization where if you ask anyone within Team Worldwide or a, a trustee, they would be able to say the same thing. Our purpose is we are cure starters. This search for a phrase, we're cure starters, was that a bit more kind of, we need a short way that captures people's imagination? Or was that also sort of still following your instincts? I think here we're following the instincts of my terrific director of fundraising, Laura McLachlan. Summarising our sort of proposition was her baby, really. So if we understand our purpose, we can set our research strategy. So we know what we're looking for when it comes to the research grants and we know what we want to attract from scientists and how we're going to make those decisions. That's relatively straightforward when you know your purpose. 
where you have to be able to describe it really easily is with an audience that aren't scientists. So, so that really formed part of the fundraising strategy. How do we describe it in a way that people who without a scientific background can understand? So I suppose a sort of a step on from that kind of big organisational purpose is refining it as being part of defining our business sort of functional strategies underneath that. And that's been a process over the last couple of years. Yeah. So how does having this purpose help your decision making, particularly the strategic decisions? You know, are there things you've said, we're not going to do that anymore, or we have to start this? Or I think as a, you know, as a charity, you're founded on purpose, right? So I'm assuming, I've never worked in the commercial sector, so I might be really naive when I say this, but you know, I feel like in a business, you're kind of founded with a product or a service, and maybe you need to find your purpose a bit, but we're the other way around. So as a charity, you're founded on purpose. And what we have to do is craft products and services that serve that purpose and also generate income because in a charity, the people who benefit from your charitable products and services are not the people that pay for them. So you've kind of uncoupled that. There's no transactional relationship there. So everything sits on purpose. What else sits on our purpose is our income generation because the first thing I think you have to ask yourself is, is this purpose of general interest to lots of people? Is this a mass market purpose, mission, or are you niche? Which dictates your fundraising strategy. So for us, our current fundraising strategy is still founded on that individual giving income stream, you know, lots and lots of people giving us a small amount of money on a regular basis. And now you can only do that if you have a proposition or a purpose that is of mass appeal, which you would think with cancer it is, but the cancer charity is such a crowded market that actually differentiating yourself is pretty tricky. So our purpose tells us how we should pursue our charitable mission, who might fund that, and therefore what income streams, income generation strategy do you put in place in order to fund it? The other thing, which of course is companion to strategy, is organisational culture. And our culture flows directly from our purpose too. So, you know, our cultural values are based on the acronym CURES. So we are curious, we are united, we are real, we are entrepreneurial, and we are spirited. And those things all come from that CURE starting, innovative, creative, risk-taking purpose at our core. I have to say from a personal point of view, I really wish I'd realised that a year or two sooner than I actually did because I spent a lot of time trying to put strategy in place without having a clear purpose and it just for a charity just doesn't work doesn't work at all because all you're doing is looking at other charities and going well that works for them maybe that would work for us but it it doesn't you're not the same organization yeah um a question that maybe might seem like it's kind of coming from a very different angle and I suppose it is is you know it there's such huge public media attention right now on climate change and net zero. In your view, does every organization's purpose have to somehow relate to that to be successful? I think this is a really difficult issue for charities. I suspect in the business world, the answer may well be yes. Certainly if you're of any size, I think you have to be conscious of your carbon footprint. With charities, I think we find ourselves a a little bit between a rock and a hard place. There is the annual market research about charity donors and their expectations of charities. There are some consistent themes. 
One of them is that your donors expect charities to behave charitably in everything they do, not just in their mission. And we saw, I think, with all of the fundraising scandals that there were that hit the papers a few years ago, that play out because charities, it tended to be the big charities, but they were not doing anything differently to commercial organisations, but they are viewed differently when they behave that way. So, so there is that. But then on the other hand, your donors very reasonably expect a large proportion of the money they donate to go directly to the cause it funds. So how as a leader do you balance the general good of behaving well and as a good citizen or a good uh, you know, organization in this world against the specific good that you are here to do? It's really hard. I don't know. I definitely, I have an answer. Um, we do what we can. I mean, certainly with what we do, we don't manufacture things. We don't transport things around the world. We are inherently, I think, you know, relatively environmentally friendly, but it's a question that is a very live discussion internally. And it brings into play things like, as a charity, if you have an investment portfolio, which we do, should you invest that ethically? And how far do you go? Does that impact on your returns? Should it impact on your returns, which then you should be, you could be spending on your charitable mission? There are no easy answers there. And I think I and the trustees would always try to sort of strike a happy medium. But we have to principally I think, keep front and centre the fact that we are here to fund cancer research, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As you think about the journey you've been on, is there anything you'd say you're particularly proud of that's gone particularly well? I think I'm most proud of the fact that, that the whole team have come with us on this journey, because I think it's so easy as a, a senior team or a board to create strategy in the bubble I think looking back, I'm pleased with the effort we put into internal communication, which I think sometimes can be the thing that slips off the bottom of the to-do list, can't it? You know, the whole team has come on this journey, has embraced the strategy and the purpose. I think the amount of time and effort that I and the senior team spent really thinking about internal communication, how do we bring this to life? It's not just a transmit this is what we've been working on, Blur. And how do we bring this to life for everybody? And how do we keep repeating it, actually, but repeating it in new ways to make sure that it's always live and at the centre of our organisation? Any examples of how you brought it alive that stand out? So I think there's been always a lot of storytelling. So going back to, you know, telling the founding story, which is something that I repeat, and it's part of my induction. We do quarterly all staff quarterly update on performance but always within that we will embed something around purpose actually the latest thing that we did those cultural values that i listed out they were a team effort so we we had a set of cultural values that we slightly cobbled together when we moved to edinburgh they were way too wordy they weren't memorable enough so we did an all staff day where we all got together and i told the founding story yet again they may be tired of hearing it but i'm going to keep telling it And we said, look, you know, based on this, our why, what do we need to be? And, you know, people broke out into teams and put together their own sort of thoughts around their cultural values. Everybody chose an acronym, which is interesting. And then I took that away and assembled them into sort of an uber 
set of values that incorporated aspects from each team, you know. So it's things like that, trying to think about how can you make this an interactive activity where it's two-way communication. That's always how we improved the quickest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds like the whole idea of inclusion, at least within the organization, is a big part of what you do. Does that extend beyond the boundary of the organization? And, And if so, how? Inclusion is a significant aspect to our work now. And in fact, we're trying to thread it into everything that we do. Because if you think about, think about our purpose, going back to purpose again, we are built on creativity and ideas and they can come from anybody and they can come from anywhere. But as the world stands right now, some people are better positioned to have their ideas heard than others. And that is true in science as well. So science like well let's face it most other sectors is yet another place where the higher you go the more senior you get the more white it gets and the more male it gets it's just how it is and and so we are looking at how we in our own way can address that problem and so for example one of the things that we have just put into place is diversity monitoring within our grant round so are you more likely to get a grant from us if you're a white man than if you're not Um, we need to gather data on that for a few years before we can really draw any conclusions, but the monitoring is in place. Um, We also, unlike a lot of funders, we will give grants to people at quite an early stage in their career before they've got a permanent job in academia. Again, because we know that women particularly find it harder to stay in a scientific career and sort of desperately need that kind of independent funding earlier on. You know, it's important that funding doesn't all get channeled to the same sort of middle-aged white professors. And we have funded very early career people from more diverse backgrounds. I think we've got a lot more to do. And I think we're working against a broader societal issue. But nevertheless, we will play our part. It sits on our purpose. We need to ensure we're listening to all of the ideas that we can hear from anybody, no matter who they are. Mm -hmm. And in this whole journey around purpose and strategy, was there any of it that you found particularly difficult or where it didn't quite go the way you'd hoped? I think getting to that cure starter proposition, very simple language, took us quite a long time. And I think early iterations, we probably made some assumptions about And this was really when I was very, very first CEO. We made some assumptions about actually we are not a mass market appeal charity. You know, we actually need to completely change our fundraising model because there's no way we can explain this. So I wish we'd gotten to that sooner. We did go down, I think, some slightly blind alleys because we thought, oh, this is just not something we can sell to the general public. We can't make the language simple enough, uh, you know, clear enough. I wish we'd seen that more clearly, more quickly (laughs) than we did. Mm -hmm. Any tips or suggestions for other leaders who are traveling a similar journey or maybe even contemplating whether they should? I think if you're contemplating whether you should, you already know you should, probably, because there's that little voice at the back of your mind, isn't there, going, "Mm -hmm, we should do some work around purpose. So, So do it. I think I would say talk to peers and talk to peers from all sorts of different places, not just the usual suspects. And I I would be more than happy to have a conversation with anybody about finding your purpose. Actually, a really important conversation that I had, again, around the time that we moved the office and, you know, when we found all this paperwork, 
was with another charity CEO, Sarah Linzel, who was at the Brain Tumor Charity. And I'd got in touch with her because they had rebranded and it was brilliant. Out of almost nowhere, they'd grown massively. And I just thought, Sarah, how did you do that? I had a conversation with her where I expected her to tell me how you fundraise at that level that quickly. And what she said to me is, Helen, you need, you need to find your purpose. Why are you different? Why wouldn't you just merge with another charity? What do you do? And, and it was, it was a, I have to say, slightly uncomfortable conversation as these important conversations often are. And I didn't realize the importance of it at the time. And now I've looked back and go, oh yes, Sarah, no, I see what you mean. <laughs> you know, you need to be absolutely crystal clear about your mission. Um, so talk to people. The other thing I would say is one of the challenges, the personal challenges I think I faced with this is while you're doing this purpose work, it's sort of underpinning foundational work, isn't it? And the results of that aren't maybe immediately apparent and you don't immediately get them. So I think if you feel under pressure to deliver results, deliver money, typically right now, that can get in the way of doing that core work on your organization that needs to happen. So I would just kind of say stick with it because I definitely had a couple of years, like I said, of trying to put strategy in place without purpose and it didn't work. I made a couple of really bad decisions actually in that phase. And I think you have to have the confidence to kind of hold your ground and you keep the faith <laughs> that you will get to something that then when you have it, strategy becomes so much easier to do and actually your job just becomes so much easier because it brings a sense of continuity for the organization as well mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what's the impact on you personally been what have you learned along the way how are you different so this was my first ceo role so i thought i was inheriting an organization that was a pretty steady ship so i thought that my job was going to be you know to be the scientist to go out and talk about the amazing research that we fund which i love absolutely love doing um, but then I recruited a new CFO and we looked at the finances and realized our income was dropping off and it was going to drop off. And so suddenly I was thrown into a turnaround situation and had not a clue. I absolute rabbit in headlights. Uh, this is not the job that I thought I was taking on. I see now that in that situation, you have to work on the foundations of your house first, as I sort of just alluded to. You have to take the time to really understand the fundamentals of your organization and the why it exists and, you know, what are you even here for? Despite feeling very, very wet behind the ears, CEO, despite feeling under a lot of pressure to deliver change and new and exciting things. So those first couple of years were incredibly stressful. And I, I think was plagued when I look back at it by imposter syndrome, feeling, oh, oh my goodness, the board would never have appointed me if they'd have known we were actually quite financially overstretched at that time. So that was really hard. But what I've learned through this journey, and if I you know, ever take on a similar challenge again, is that there are things that you should do first. And of course, you're going to want to do your diligence around, you know, is an organization financially sound or are there any major governance issues? But one of the key things to do is certainly if you're a charity CEO is talk to everybody about what they think the charity does. Can people explain it? Do they all think the same thing? Because if they don't, that is where you have to start first. And having been through what for me was quite a painful process, 
And as I said, there wasn't really a plan. I've just followed my gut with a lot of this. So I feel I'm slightly fortunate to have come out where we are now. Mm-hmm. One thing we haven't really explicitly focused on is, it felt to me like it was in there, but it'd be useful just to pull it out, which, which is sort of what is your strategy now? Growth, simply. I mean, that's not uncommon, right? Um, but growth not for the sake of growth. Growth to fill the gap that we see. Um, so we turn way too much research away that we want to fund simply for the lack of money. We award about 20 to 25 grants a year at the moment. We could award 100. On the basis of what we see now and the quality of what we see now, we could award 100. So our North Star is that in 10 years, we want to be funding 100 new ideas, 100 discoveries every single year. When I originally wrote this out in a board paper, you know, I viewed that as a 10-year plan. It happened to be 2020, so our tagline was 20 by 30. 20 million pounds of funding by 2030 and that we've used that internally so the overall organizational strategy is growth to meet a massive funding gap that isn't going to be met anywhere else the research strategy side of that is not too difficult it's obviously the income generation side that uh, strategically is the tougher thing to do but as i said that will still be built on individual giving and and legacies well Helen, thank you so much for joining us here on The Purposeful Strategist. Really a lot to think about. And in particular, I like the way you drew out some lessons from the charitable sector for those who are perhaps initially, anyway, more profit focused. Again, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Please email any questions or suggestions to Belden at mancus.com. In addition to being available on our website, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, we release a new episode weekly. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode of The Purposeful Strategist. <laughs>